This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we talked to Carolyn and she is a recent mobile developer at Lookout. Uh, She comes from a data scientist background and we have some really interesting chat about her transition and um, just all the things that she's gotten into, what's been hard, what's been awesome, and it's a really good time. Yeah. And before we get into the interview, I just want to mention that you can support Women's Tech Radio by going to patreon.com forward slash today. It is a subscription-based support of our network. It supports all the shows, but specifically this show, Women's Tech Radio. So go to patreon.com forward slash today. And we got started by asking Carolyn what she's up to in technology these days. Yeah, so I have a sort of an interesting story of, or at least I think it's interesting, of how I got into tech. Um, So I was a business major, not sure what I wanted to do with my life, ended up in like operations at a big company, but I always really, really loved data and I just loved spreadsheets and I met someone that let me, it sort of taught me SQL and taught me how to be faster with what I was doing with SQL and I found out I really loved SQL. So I sort of just started building from there. Um, I ended up at Lookout, which is a mobile security Um, anti-malware company and just sort of like opened my eyes to a lot of technology. And I started as a data analyst, started managing the data warehouse. um, And then earlier this year, just moved over to Android development. So I'm learning a lot. And so I'm new to engineering, but I have been speaking engineer what I say for a very long time. So right now um, I'm working on a side project, which we'll be releasing at the end of this year and currently learning RX Java, which is pretty new. It's really cool, but there's definitely not really a lot out there about it. So I spend my days currently just really doing a lot of learning. All right. So I will admit I am not familiar with RX Java. How, how is it different than normal Java? Yeah, so it deals with like streaming data. And so it's really good for when you're trying to chain things together without, you know, the data might not be available oh, yet. Okay. So, so it's a Java like, non blocking. Yeah. Cool. Well, you could sh- yeah. you probably continue explaining that for the audience and me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm still like wrapping. I was just like, so I earlier this year did like an online Android boot camp while I was still doing my data job and managing the data team and just sort of doing like 20 things at once. And now I've, you know, once I started to feel like I really got a foothold in Java, um, we decided to use RX Java. So it's like, now I'm like relearning a lot of things. So it's still, I'm still feeling like I'm in a foreign country where I don't speak the language. Um, so I'm definitely, it's, it's, it's made me actually have this like huge respect for Netflix because they're the ones that wrote the Android library for it. And like, they're just doing so much cool stuff over there. um, And they have a lot of good tutorials about it. So I definitely recommend there's a podcast about it. And that the head guy is talking about RxJava is really interesting. So I can um, add that to the show links for you guys too. Netflix is really interesting because they essentially, they're, they're stack, they're really stack agnostic where they look at their teams and they say, do what you need to do to get your job done. 
and and find the best way to do it. So I know that they have Angular, Ember, you know, they have a embedded team, they have an they have the Java RX Java team and they all just kind of, you know, talk together because they've really pieced these pieces out. It's really fascinating how they're kind of making that work with being probably one of the biggest data companies in the world right now. Yeah. Well, they're definitely like finding, you know, if there's not a tool out there that meets their needs, they'll build it, you know. And um, I have a friend who's a doctor and I was explaining this concept to her and she was like, this is so weird. She's like, I why would they build it and like open source it, you know, and um, for me personally, one of the things I actually stumbled upon in the tech community, which I didn't really realize, um, is just the amount of support that people are willing and companies are willing to give each other. I mean, there's obviously companies that are competing and hate each other, but at the same time, like, I'm sure if you got their engineers together, they would like talk shop and like share things they're doing. And it's, it's really cool. It's, um, when I, you know, decided to be an engineer, Late last year, I had so many people that were giving me free materials and helping me and the tech community, like every night of the week, you can go to a meetup and like have dinner and, and meet people and um, have people help you, which was sort of a happy, happy accident to find out um, about the tech community in general. Yeah, yeah, I totally love that. I think the and I love that it comes out of kind of some of our roots of open source and, and being able to reach out and touch each other's projects and just help out like um I was listening to a podcast recently, ironically, um, and they were talking about how, you know, they'd open source their their website kind of and they were it's a paid service. And the guy was like, I'm shocked because like every week we get somebody who just pops in and is like, hey, I forked your website and made this change because I found this problem and here it is back. And this guy that fixed things is is a paid customer of theirs, but he's still like jumping in to fix things for the company. It's just like, yeah, really awesome. Yeah. So the, actually the bootcamp that I did, um, is CodePath, which is, um, a link in the show notes and they, what they do is they go out to companies and do consulting. And then they also have a bootcamp. If you are an engineer, um, that you can, if you're already, you know, I think like two or three years in, um, you can go. So I wasn't like a candidate to be part of their bootcamp. And even part of the consulting, my company said they'd pay for it, but they said, you really need to learn Java before you do this bootcamp. So they gave me all the materials for free and they just said I could learn it on my own, um, which was pretty awesome and had calls with me and um, sort of got me started on my path. Just totally pro bono, which was really awesome. That is really awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So as a developer, I have to ask, how is it that it was SQL? that grabbed your attention? Because most developers I know just absolutely hate working in SQL. Like we will, we will avoid it like the plague. I actually kind of got my start in SQL as well. So I do like it, but most people I talk to, they're like, I love all this web stuff. Please don't make me write SQL. Yeah. So what's funny is the the engineers on my team, when I see the SQL queries they're writing, I'm like, I'm so happy because that's like a place I can teach them and be like, whoa, this is, this is not good. Um, So what happened was I was working at an, I was working for Williams Sonoma, which is like uh, they also own Pottery Barn and they run it as this big monolithic company where they don't really care if people are efficient and they they would be perfectly happy with people just entering data all day um, instead of making efficient processes or systems. And it was my first job out of college. So I didn't really know that like life didn't really have to be like that. <laughs> and um, so I was spending like a lot of time like manually going in and doing things. 
And I just so happened to meet um, someone in my company named Mark Raskob, who like really opened the door for me where he's like, just just learn SQL. And like, you can do this job that took you all day. You can do it in like 20 minutes. And so it was more just a fact of like me being like, whoa, like this is pretty powerful. These people are really living in the dark ages. And so we would like, we literally wrote a script that would do our jobs for you. We called it magic hands. And then we'd like go to coffee and like no one, no one that worked, I worked for really, they just wanted us to get the work done. They didn't know that we could like eliminate everyone's jobs. And you know, we're, like, <laughs> we're like, we called it magic hands. It was so funny. And we'd like unleash magic hands on like three computers and then realize like, oh, the system couldn't take that much, you know, input. So we'd like bring it down to two and and then like it would enter in like a price of like a million dollars for a couch instead of a thousand dollars or something. And so we'd get a call from like, you know, tech in team in India overnight when like something process blew up. So like, we definitely had to like fine tune magic hands. Um, and so then we just, then I moved over to the technical team after that. Cause they, they sort of saw like, okay, she can actually be on this team, um, and do this without having a really a background. And then, um, once I moved into data, it's like SQL's King, no matter what, you know, anyone says about big data and all these big data tools, like it really, the backbone of everything is really SQL. So, um, learning how to do efficient queries, um, will make your job so much, so much happier. And, um, if you write SQL wrong, you're going to give people wrong answers. So on the data side, um, you know, SQL just to me just made so much sense, but I guess it was sort of the first like real programming I ever got my, my hands on. So I love it, but. So I actually have had a couple friends recently who have asked me, um, cause I kind of learned SQL the hard way by just throwing my head against access, which is probably the worst interface ever. Um, yeah. But do you have any good recommendations for books or online resources for SQL? Because it's, it's kind of like this weird black hole where I can learn almost everything else online and I can't seem to find anything good for SQL. Yeah. So the thing about SQL is that you will not be good at it. You will not. It will not make like you'll not really get your hands around it until you actually use it. So it's one of those things where like you need access to a data set and you need questions to answer and then you'll get it. So there are resources out there. I haven't, I actually, when I was hiring data analysts, um, as a manager, I was, I just created my own data set and like posted it, um, for people to, and then had them like answer some questions to show me they, they knew SQL or not. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, it's really like a learning by doing kind of thing. Um, which I guess most things are, but like, if you don't have an interesting data set to work with and you're not trying to solve interesting problems, um, you're just never going to pick it up. Um, but I, I haven't really found that there are available data sets out there and as, as bad as access is and as it like gives you the graphical interface, like don't use that. You need to actually physically write it out. If you use access, if you get access to a data set, dump it in access and then use the just handwriting the SQL, you know, you'll get it. Yeah, totally. So in um, in the form that you filled out before the show, you said that you're still trying to figure out why you never thought to be an engineer before. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of people that don't know that that the way they their personality and skills would make them perfect for a position. What would you recommend people do to figure out what best to be or do or try? Yeah. So I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. So when I was younger growing, I grew up in San Diego and it was very much like a beach culture, like very dude bro-y, 
Um, it wasn't cool to be smart. Um, you know, when I was a kid, that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, but I was like networking the internet, like in my parents' house, like running the wireless, like created their wireless network. And I was like, I was like one of the first people on Napster, like stealing music and like creating <laughs> And like, yep. I had this little yep. computer in my parent, in my room and my friends would come over and like, they'd be like in our bikinis, like, beep, beep, like, let's go to the beach. Like, <laughs> how many, did you, you know, did you make a CDs? I'm like, wait, I'm just like, you know, like stealing music off the internet. Like it'll be, but it didn't, to me, it was like, I mean, this is like 1998. So like, I, I was really probably one of like 10,000 people doing that, this and like, we might've shared uh, that stolen music. Yeah, I was just going to say like, yeah, yeah I, 1998, that was my yeah. golden year too for <laughs> Napster and mm -hmm. Winamp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really totally. the llama's ass. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, but for some reason it was like, it never crossed my mind that like, I was really good at this. I was way more interested in it than any of my friends. And I was just like, but instead I just was like, I'm just going to go to the beach and like, we're going to like try and get beer and, and do all these things. And I was like, yeah. And I'm trying to figure out like why it never crossed my mind to do that. Um, but I also think it just, it was a different time in the, in that like technology wasn't, people weren't talking about technology. People weren't like interested in talking about apps and, you know, like one in 20 people had a cell phone right. back then. So it didn't, so I think maybe it was just kind of like that time. And I, when I went to college, I was a business major and I thought like I would just do business. Like I wasn't really sure like what I wanted to do. And um, I think I had all the tools and I knew that I loved computers and I loved building things, but I never really had someone sit me down and, and um, like, I never really just had that like career thought. I just sort of like followed every, the path that just like I thought was laid out. Um, and it really wasn't until like, mid last year that I thought I could really be an engineer and do it. And I, and it was really what sort of tipped me was like all these boot camps coming out and people just like going and being like doing it. And I was like, I had this like deep, this thought of like, what would I do if I could do anything? And I wasn't scared to do it. And like, to me, engineering was it. And the come lookout was like incredibly supportive and like, let me move teams, which was like really great and sort of a, you know, a rare find in a company that would support, you know, support someone to do this. So I also, I got really lucky. Um, but, you know, I think now with women who code and, and a lot of organizations asking these questions of like why women aren't engineers. And I think it's, you know, I'm like, it's cause no one ever asked me and I never asked myself. Um, and, and now that it's sort of becoming like the norm, um, you know, I'm hoping that more women will sort of like naturally follow the path to be an engineer. Cause I think if there would have been more of that growing up that I probably would have, you know, found that path earlier. Yeah. I, it, that's actually part of why we started the podcast is cause, mm -hmm. um, you know, you say, oh, it was a different time then. Um, and it was actually my conversation with a 16 year old that, spawned me to start this because I had this conversation and a 16 year old good at math enjoyed science like tech stuff you know didn't do the assembling computers thing because nobody really does that, that thing, yeah <laughs> but um I was like well have you considered like you know being a programmer and she was like no that's for boys right yeah. I was like whoa yeah whoa, this is and this was last year so yeah so uh but I, I do think yeah. I do think it's changing. I think organizations like Women Who Code, Girl Develop It, mm -hmm. Chick Tech, all these different things are, are kind of getting in there and saying, hey, guys, like, or hey, ladies, yeah, um, right? <laughs> you, you can yeah. do this too. And um, and there's no reason, like, like I like to say, you know, girls type just as well as boys. 
So I haven't been to a boot camp, but it seems like that might be, aside from trying to join Women Who Code or another place like that that would support you, but the boot camp might help you. Like, is it a way, is it like a conference where you can go and just like listen or watch different parts of development? Yeah. So I did a lot of research on boot camps at the end of last year and, and there's some good and there's some, there's a lot of good, but there's also a lot of bad. Um, so a lot of, you know, you can't expect to just go somewhere for like three months and then come out and be like a fully fledged engineer and be ready to work, you know? Um, so this boot camp is just like a once a week for like two hours for eight weeks kind of thing. Or I think it's twice a week for two hours for eight weeks. Um, and, but they they sort of are teaching mobile development to people who are already engineers. So, um, but they just gave me their, like, they record their lectures and they have all their assignments online. And so they just gave me access to their materials. So I could write, you know, I could like work on apps on my own. So I'd say like, it definitely took me a lot longer to get through it. And I ended up just doing the parts of the boot camp that really applied to what I'd be working on at Lookout. So I could just get up to speed faster. But, you know, like their, their boot camp that would be like a week of, um, a week of work would take me like three weeks or something to get done. Mm. So definitely was like, it took me a while to get through it. Um, but it really is, I, I couldn't say enough good things about CodePath. They're, they do some really cool stuff. Um, and they're, they're really smart guys. So actually all men, but um, they do have a lot of women that go to their boot camp. So, yeah, it's, there's definitely a really wide range of, of what we're calling a boot camp right now, because like, the, so we have CodePath, which is this kind of part-time thing, and then there'll be other online part-time things, and then there's even in-person part-time things where you can go in the evenings, and it's a full, you know, five days a week. Um, yeah. Like, the boot camp that I worked out of is a full five days a week. It's a 16-week pro- program if you do it at night, or a 12-week program if you do it in the day, and it, it is full-stack development. You you go from the front end all the way through the back end, and I think that's probably the most common is that it's essentially, like, two to three months. Um, some of them go out as far as six months of like, get in there, get your hands in code, have a portfolio at the end kind of a thing. But um, but I agree with you, um, Carolyn, that it's, you can't go in to a bootcamp expecting to come out the other end, like a full-fledged developer, unless you work your butt off. Um, and there are companies hiring beginners. I think that the market is getting a little bit saturated because there are so many bootcamps. Um, yeah. You know, Portland is a, I'm in Portland. It's a fairly small city. And I think right now we have five bootcamps. Wow. And one of them is turning out two classes of 60 people each every 10 weeks. Wow. So it's getting a bit, a bit saturated, but, um, you know, the, yeah. the market is still there. So. Yeah. And so I have friends in San Francisco that are recruiters and I, and when I was switching over there, like, whoa, 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 don't do a boot camp. Don't do it. Like we can't hire people out of boot camps. They're like, not, there's like, one out of 20 that like are hireable, you know? And, and so I was like, okay. And I, and I had some talks with them and they were like, you know, it's just like, you have to, if you're going to do a boot camp, you also have to have another strategy of like how you're still going to become an engineer, <laughs> you know, like you do the boot camp, but like, where are you going to, who's going to take you on as a junior developer? You know, like you need to have all those things sort of lined up. Right. Um, or else you're just going to do the boot camp and then like go do something else, you know? Yeah. And I think that there are some things coming into the market that are trying to fill that. Um, there's a couple of places like ThoughtBot has apprenticeship programs. Um, a couple of the other bigger dev shops have that where you can kind of 
transition from beginner into intermediate. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then there's some online stuff like Thinkful um, or you, or Upcase where you can kind of build those skills after bootcamp. Um, and of course, I'm always a fan. I think the, the biggest thing in our industry and most industries is um, mentorship, like finding a mentor, finding those people yep. and going out Which and, you'd and likely shaking find it hands. Like women who code or meetups or yeah, totally. the social aspect of it. Meet spaces, yeah. we like to call it yeah. nerd, nerd speak. <laughs> Which I always, whenever I hear meet space, I picture M-E-A-T. Like, no, that's what know. it means. Oh, not M-E-E-T. No, it's M-E-A-T, oh. meet space. Why? Because we're nerds and it's not digital, so it's fleshy, so it's meat. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. Interesting, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Wow, that's a great, I'm glad. Okay. Continue with the interview. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so you talked a little bit, you've moved over to the Android team. Um, what's what's fun and what's hard about Android? I've, I haven't really dug in on Android development. I've done some iOS, but... Um, yeah. So what's really fun about Android is, you know, day one, you can like open up your Android studio and like download the SDK and like create a, a page. It has like a button, you know, and you can click the button. It can like play a song. You can do that in like two days. So like you definitely, and you can put, you know, you can publish it to the app store. You could put it on your phone, you know, like there's definitely this, you can hit an API and pull data back. You know, you could do that in a couple of days, learn all that from scratch. So there's like a very easy sort of like, you know, there's a link um, on learning to code in the in the notes where it's like a graph of like you at first you like peak. You're like on the honey. It's like a honeymoon at first and, mm -hmm. and everything seems really easy. Um, but as you sort of start to unfold things like Android's really complicated and, you know, there's 9000 versions of Android that people are running out there and different size devices and um, tablets and you know, people are going to be using your app only on Wi-Fi and, and there's so many things to think about. So like, um, as, as you want to do more, you know, you're just like, you get like royally confused, like very quickly. Um, so it's, it's cool to just sort of get up and running and get started, but it's definitely, there's like a lot to learn. There's things you have to think about, like battery usage and memory and, and all these things that, um, that you don't really deal with if you're a web developer. Um, mm -hmm. so it's definitely a lot to get started. Um, I work on a team where there's like a lot of senior engineers. So, um, and a lot of people that really know what's going on. So that it's like, it's fun, but it's also like, you know, you you take some hits to your ego a little bit. Cause was, I feel like I used to know everything about the data warehouse and stepping into something where you don't know what's going on and you really have to feel your way through it is like, it can be, you know, a shot to, your ego and, and how you feel about yourself. I always say like, sometimes I feel like Tom Hanks, like when I get code reviews, like in uh, a league of their own where he's like, there's no crying in baseball. Mm -hmm. Like I literally have to tell myself like there's no crying in coding when I get like a lot of comments on a code review or I just totally, you know, like just, it's a lot of like falling down. I, a lot. I'm so glad I'm not the only person that says there's no crying in coding. <laughs> yes. I say that to myself all the time. Me too. And, and it makes me feel better because like, at least I'm out there, you know, I'm out there and I'm like, they're always like, oh no, you're doing really, really good. It's like, you just have this where you like, you just want, I want to be, I don't want to say I want to be perfect, but like, I want to like be contributing and like, you know, I don't, I, I want to be like getting things done and moving forward and writing really good code. And you're just, you're not going to do that when you move into engineering for like a year or two, you know? 
So you just setting those expectations, you just have to like lower your expectations for yourself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, this is a talk that I have with a lot of, I meet a lot of junior developers through women who code and stuff. Um, and like explaining to them, like, listen, I've been doing coding for, you know, a lot of years as a, as a professional now. And, uh, there's rarely a week that goes by where I don't go, wow, I feel like I know nothing. Yeah. I'm like totally Jon Snow. It's not fun. <laughs> yeah. But then when I share that feeling with other developers, they're like, welcome to being an engineer. Yep, exactly. Like that's what everyone says to me. Um, they're like, oh, you were frustrated all day. And the last 10 minutes of your day, everything made sense and you got it to run. Like that's your life. Mm -hmm. And I kind of love that. Like personally, like I actually really love that. Like I love like working all day on a problem to me, like the day goes by in 30 minutes to me, even if I like want to cry sometimes, like it's still, it's fun. And I'm, I feel like I'm using more of my brain than I ever did before. Yeah. It's like 30 minutes of, of success after an entire day of the crying game. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's totally, it's where you're at. And I, I think that knowing that going in, it's like that. I like to say that, you know, programmers need to be like eternally optimistic because it will work this time. I swear. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can find the full transcription of this show over in the show notes at jupiterbroadcasting.com. You can also subscribe to the RSS feeds. And while you're there, you could also reach out to us on the contact form. Let us know what you think about the show or any guests you might like to hear. Don't forget, we're also on iTunes. And if you have a moment, leave a review so we know how we're doing and how we can improve the show. If you'd like to reach out to Angela and I directly, you can use WTR at jupiterbroadcasting.com for an email or check us out at Twitter at HeyWTR. Thanks for listening.